This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how could COVID impact this year's holidays? Infectious disease expert Dr. Jason Kinderchuk gives us an update on how Omicron variant is impacting COVID responses around the world. What do we know? What do we just not have enough information about just yet? Current restrictions, are they enough? Um, do we need tougher things here? Or do we reacting too fast or too slow? It's just some good insight that should ease your mind. Also, do you want to have the best Christmas lights on the block this holiday? Andy Barrar, Handy Andy, is back with how to set up some amazing lights for your Christmas tree, for your house, for outside your house, and make them work with your smartphone as well. Plus, of course, are you okay with Santa? Yeah. Coolest cat ever. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? Are you okay with tips? I mean, yeah. Uh, it's I, I I think I'm not a super like generous tipper. I don't give huge tips, but I give a tip almost every time. Like if there if I can throw a buck, I'll throw a buck. That's that's what I do. But uh, like if I have a dinner. I'm not usually going over 15% unless, you know, they did something like really great. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say that when I worked in the service industry, I only worked in one restaurant ever in my life and I didn't get a tip. I, it made me generally angry. It's like, a, it's like, what did I do wrong to hurt you? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Brendan Kelly, I, I'm assuming that you've worked in a restaurant at some point in your life. Yes, yes, indeed. Multiple restaurants, multiple service oh. industry jobs. Um, what are your thoughts about tips? Uh, well, interestingly, I don't know. They've kind of lost what I believe they were initially you know, brought about for, which was service. But it all has to do with how service industry people are paid, too. Like, I mean, their hourly rate is so much lower, and they're reliant upon tips, but, uh, like, tips are almost expected now, and if there's bad... I don't know. It's it's a very... It's an interesting thing. Now, think about Australia, where I I lived and worked for several months. No tips. They don't tip there. They pay very well. You got like 22 bucks an hour to start as a server. Um, however, the service is very different. They do not care. When it's time to cut you off, they cut you off. And when it's time to, to tell you, put you in your place, they will. Because yeah. they're not relying on tips. Well, see, and I think that's good. I, I, I don't like the notion of tips. I like the, as an expectation. I like the notion as tips as a gift. Um. And I don't think anybody should feel obligated to give a tip uh, if the service and the meal was crappy. Uh, I don't think that that should be a thing even today. I, 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 I don't. And I believe that being generous uh, is, is a good thing. I, I even gave, I went to, uh, what do they call the Thai Express? You know, that little fast food fried mm-hmm. rice place? Yeah, love Thai Express. Um, Right. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. But I went there so, and I was at the core mall downtown, which is so the Thai Express and the core mall, it's like a four story mall that's uh, bridges gaps between towers downtown. It's over the course of about three blocks, but it's anyway, um, there's a lot of shops have closed in that mall and a lot of the, the food spots upstairs in the food court have closed. And I was down there and I, I, I don't ever tip at a fast food place like that ever. But I, I just added on a buck because I was like, you know what? There's nothing else open up here. Everything else is closed. So I could do a buck. So I did a buck. So I don't know. I, I, I don't like tipping when it's not warranted. And I have no problem just not tipping if if it literally was dreadful experience. So now it is a great way to thank everybody for great experience. Um, maybe your t- uh, tipping policy is more like this one. Why tip someone for a job I'm capable of doing myself? I can deliver food. I can drive a taxi. I can and do cut my own hair. I did, however, tip my urologist because I am unable to pulverize my own kidney stone. Oh, dear. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He's got a good point. Valid. That's another thing. I think that the standard when you hire somebody to do a job in your house, if they come and paint or whatever, needs to be better than yours. Yes. Very you know, good when, point. If you hire someone to come in and do drywall in your house, they have to do a better job than you would have done. 
I just think that should be a rule. New life rule. Add it to the book. People tend to give more generous tips during the holiday season, of course, but this amazing story takes tipping to a whole new level. A woman and her mother were dining at an IHOP in Georgia. <laughs> Surprise it wasn't the Waffle House, let's be honest. When they noticed, their server was a little busy. Despite that, Rita Williams said in her Facebook post she was impressed by her server, Jasmine Castillo, and then the generosity took it from there. Here's more from WGCO. Because her meal wasn't even... you know, it was about that. Mm -hmm. Yet Jasmine Castillo's customer, Rita Williams, says the service called for a big tip. Oh, she's working and she was just going back and forth. I gave her the 20 and she was like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, it's $20. And I was like, here. And I handed her another 20 and she goes, no. Oh my God, no. Because on average, in order for her to make $40 in tips, maybe about eight, seven tables. William saw a need. I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to give her $500. She asked Castillo for a cash app information and ended up sharing their story on Facebook. You guys feel it in your heart. Let's bless her and surprise her and put in the cash app title IHOP Blessing. And like 20 minutes later, I'm getting all these notifications on Instagram and Facebook that says done, 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 done. I hear the um, the notification. I don't usually get cash apps. I don't know. I didn't I didn't know what it, what was going on. Complete strangers donating about ten thousand dollars. Twenties, forties, fifties, hundreds. At a time, Castillo needed it most. I had a couple bills overdue. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I just paid those and my rent. My mom. My mom's sick. Um, she just got out of the hospital on Thanksgiving Day and and her medications and just bills and I can finally help with that because it, it's hard, it's hard. I'm just, I don't, I'm just, I'm really happy for her. I'm, I am, I'm beyond happy for Jasmine. Like, I don't think it could have happened to a better person. Stop it. That's, that's amazing. And it's important to note that because they said they noticed that she was really busy. Yep. And so maybe their service wasn't great. I think that if you're going to, uh, make a judgment about good service or bad service. Be aware of all the circumstances. How generous is that? Patience. That's cool. Yeah, the generosity is cool. I also like that it's not just like it's a community coming together and just these like you don't know this person at all, and it's just hey, mm-hmm. let's let's lend him a hand and like that. That's ten thousand dollars can like change your life. Like, Dude, <laughs> so change my life, especially yeah. Oh, me too, man. Uh, yeah, I th- it's, a, it's a great story. Um, I wish I had cash app when I was working at buttermilk waffles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's neat. Damn. I think that's cool. Um, and yeah, be generous, man. Try to be generous. Oh, I had a moment, um, that I'm, I'm, I'm proud to share. Maybe I should save it for good news Tuesday, but, uh, yeah, it happened when I was on vacation. I don't think I shared this. So I got out of my car. I had a garbage bag full of empties. <laughs> Strong bull. And, um, is a big it was a big bag. In Alberta, you take those back to the bottle depot and you get money back. It's not the same in every province. And so I pull up, there's a guy next to me uh, in his car and he's kind of scrounging around in the car. It looked like he was picking up cans off the floor and putting them into bag and he took it inside and I said, "How's the day?" He said, "No, not well, not a good day." It was polite, but he was very abrupt. And I watched him walk inside, and he had his buddy there, and his buddy was getting all the other cans sorted. And so I dumped my cans out, and they sorted out my cans, and it came to about $12 and change. And then as I heard them, they had about six or seven bucks. And all I heard him say was, this isn't even enough for gas. And they were polite. And they, so at that particular bottle depot, it's pretty automated. They just give you a printout and you walk up to a cash machine and mm-hmm. it scans your, your code and it just spits out the money. And he got his money and he started to walk away and I just put my hand on his back and I said, hang on a second. And uh, then I scanned mine and I took the money out and I just handed it to him. He says, are you serious right now? It's like, yeah, man. I said, maybe now you'll have a good day. I don't do stuff like that, right? Like, I don't think I'm very good at that stuff. It's one thing in life that I think I would like to be better at. I guess I've done it a couple of times, but I'd like to be better at that kind of, that kind of thing. And in that moment, that guy was so grateful and his buddy, they started chatting. And they're like, Oh my God, thank you so much. It was $12, hmm. right? And now $12 is a lot for some of us and $12 is a lot for me. I don't even carry around $12. Having a $10 bill in my wallet would be, Holy moly, I feel, you know, rich with, you know, I'm a single dad that pays for this townhouse and all my kids' activities, my share of my kids' activities and stuff like that. 
you know, so I, it's, it's expensive. And, um, but that time is limited for me, right? I mean, the kids are going to go away and go to school and all those things. And this poor guy, he was happy as can be. So I guess to the point of this lady, um, you know, they did $10,000, you know, in this particular story that I'm sharing, it was $12, but that guy's day was made, man. And, um, you know, I got emotional. I got in the car, I got emotional. I drove away and, and, uh, and I was like, really, did I really need $12 today? I I'm actually okay. I don't need $12 today. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked out really nice. And so I just invite everybody to whatever it weighs for you, whether it's $12 or a thousand dollars, or if it's a, a loony, um, Whatever it is for you, man. If you get the chance, I, I like that story. That's a good story. Okay. Are you okay? Are you okay with Santa Claus? Santa uh, Claus? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Santa Claus. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like my uh, my dad used to dress up as Santa Claus uh, and try to like surprise us on Christmas Eve. We, I mean, we knew that the real Santa Claus was coming when we fell asleep, of course, but I still appreciated the effort from my dad. Um, but I remember, I'll never forget, uh, this Christmas morning, I woke up and I see that the plate of cookies is gone. Like, uh, you can see the crumbs and the milk is mm-hmm. half, you know, half gone. And I opened my present and it was a Nintendo Game Boy. It was the thing that I wrote to Santa for, I asked, and I screamed at the top of my lungs, Santa is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm okay well, Santa with Santa is, Claus. Santa is Absolutely real. Absolutely so. is. 100% mm-hmm. he is. Um, so, okay. Um, <laughs> I love how you wrote in ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, I also love how you wrote in Jolie, said Nick. Yeah, that's what I was wondering <laughs> about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a typo. Wait, I wrote Jolie? Oh, yeah. You oh, I did wrote yeah. Jolie. Ho, 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 Jolie St. Nick brings toys to all the kids on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Jolie. <laughs> now, um, there's all kinds of evidence to the importance of Santa Claus. Um, yes. And the, the, the impact on children. And, and, and I, I love the, the, you talk about, you talk about Santa Claus, the lady from the previous story, and that, if you ever didn't believe Santa Claus, that's my evidence that Santa Claus is real, is people like that. Now, there are Grinches in the world, and there's a priest in Italy. Um, must not have been his attending his Sunday school because he fed some very silly information to some children. He reportedly told a group of children that Santa Claus did not exist. What? Uh, clearly, uh, misinformation. Fake news, Wrong. my friend. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> China. According to the BBC... Bishop Santonio Stagliano also said Santa's red costume had been chosen by Coca-Cola for publicity. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure that Santa came before Coca-Cola. <laughs> now, in all fairness, the picture of Coca-Cola's photo of Santa has been sort of the widely distributed photo of yes. commonly accepted styling of Santa, but it's not that simple, my friends. Now, in an apology, Reverend Alesso po- Paolino, from the Diocese of Noto, said the bishop had tried to underline the true meaning of Christmas. He also said the comments had been aimed at highlighting the story of St. Nicholas, the initial inspiration for the figure of Santa Claus, known for giving gifts to the poor. In an interview with the newspaper La La Repubblica, the bishop said uh, he had not told the children that Santa did not exist, but there was a need to distinguish what is real from what is not. Okay, mm. bonehead. You did say the wrong thing. Let's just be honest here. Unfortunately, a very smart, uh, fortunately, very smart people seem to do this often. How is this possible? In 2018, a substitute teacher in Cleveland told her class that Santa was also made up. Here's more from Fox 8. Fake news. Ashley Kokenauer says her daughter was devastated by what the teacher then told the class. She immediately just broke into tears and she said that um, the teacher told her that Santa Claus isn't real, Christmas isn't real, and Christmas elves aren't real. It's all made up. What was your reaction? I was angry. I was heartbroken because that was taken away from my daughter and it hurt. When the principal of the school found out what the teacher told the students, she called the parents of each student 
told them what happened, and apologized. The Minner School District issued a statement that reads, quote, We sincerely apologize that this happened in one of our classrooms. We agree it is not appropriate for anyone working in our schools with our young children to make comments regarding their personal beliefs about the authenticity of Santa Claus. Any such comment would be made in extremely poor taste. Fox 8 News spoke to the husband of the substitute teacher, and he told us that he believes the children may have misinterpreted what his wife said. But the families of Ella Kokenauer and her classmates questioned why a substitute felt it was necessary to offer any opinion about family traditions. Now, let's just be really clear that Santa is real. We believe in Santa. And these Mm -hmm. people, um, uh, this is inappropriate and this is clearly wrong. So some definitive proof for you right now for any of the uh, uh, kids listening or whatever. Santa is real. We assure you that. Here is some evidence from PBS. On Christmas Eve 1968, the astronauts of Apollo 8 became the first humans to orbit another world. And the next day on Christmas, they radioed back a very important observation from their vantage point above Earth. Roger. Please be informed there is a Santa Claus. Well, if NASA said it, it's got to be true. According to reliable sources, Santa's sleigh is pulled by a team of reindeer, the most famous one being, of course, Rudolph. But Rosie might be a more appropriate name. See, male reindeer and caribou, they're the same species, shed their antlers during the winter. And that means Santa's reindeer are all female. So there you go. Evidence for you, my friends. Take that. It is science, clearly. I will stand up and fight for Santa Claus for the rest of my life. I also grow my white beard out so I can look like him, too. This is the Shift Podcast. So, I don't know if you've been surfing the internet, looking anything uh, Omicron. Um, On one page I saw, it was an international news website. On the same page, headline one, get your third booster, it'll save you from Omicron. Two articles down, third boosters don't work. Exact same news outlet. It was mind-blowing to me. So it seemed like a good opportunity uh, to bring uh, Dr. Jason Kinderchuk back on the shift uh, before we get to all things Omicron. Um, coming up, we have a segment called The Cheeky Bleep, Jay, and um, where we take a perfectly clean song and we bleep it out. So I thought I, because I know that you, but we always talk about music and, and stuff like that sure. you know, in our per- personal chats. You love the Motley Crue and stuff like Is there any new songs that a guy like you who's like an 80s hair-loving rocker guy are there any new songs that you liked from 2021 uh you know that i like you know i'll put hair loving in quotes right those, those were different days um listen <laughs> i you know this past year uh you know I, i'm an old school metal guy i was brought up on old school rock uh listen seeing tool come out with a new album was amazing we've been waiting for it since ten thousand days um that really set the trend and, and certainly uh seeing iron maiden come out with music i mean i I guess I keep going back to these bands uh, that, you know, really have changed the the music genre forever. And I think there is this point where they're timeless. Certainly, um, you know, they're still turning out good music. They're still doing good tours. Uh, it's hard to beat. So now I keep going back to classic after classic. I spent the other day, you know, probably about two hours of, of free time, you know, surfing through old Neil Young videos because it was kind of like, yeah, this is, they're this stuff is timeless there's just there's no question yeah very cool i just wanted to throw that at you for all the shift head listeners that we will get to cheeky bleep coming up here in just a little bit okay down to business time to put on the nerd hat you can find out how nerdy (laughs) this guy really is uh if you don't know uh jason um this is exactly what he does and in fact he talks about viruses and i'm going to read all this because this is uh some context on how uh, nerdy Jason Kinderchuk is. Ready? Uh, Jason Kinderchuk, PhD, Assistant Professor, Canada Research Chair, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, um, the Max Ratty School of Medicine, Faculty of Health Services, University of Manitoba. Like, dude, how do you fit that in business card? That's crazy. <laughs> I, and you'll probably notice I always look down when uh, when anybody starts to go through. It's humbling, right? Um it's difficult. It comes with the territory. Listen, I'm a guy that you know fell in a virology and and loves what he does. I got into science because of this, um, and we've had to rise to the occasion. I think to to meet what what we're facing. I am surrounded by people that are amazingly smarter than me and more talented. Um, that's important, and I and I think trying to you know cons- you know continue to look back from where you came from and be appreciative of what you're able to bring to the table. Those are the most important aspects. 
Well, you love this stuff, and I, I guess when you have your career, you always wish that you could be around for the pinnacle of the problem solving in your uh, focused area. Well, welcome to the pandemic, and so careful what you wish for, I suppose. Ah. Omicron, Jay, um, this has been a whirlwind two weeks for guys like you, so tell us uh, you know, what it's like when you're on the other end of all of these <laughs> meetings and these things that are happening. I think we're all tired. Uh, there, there are a lot of kind of, you know, uh, direct message threads that have turned into, I can think, you know, basically pseudo uh, therapy sessions. I think because we need it. Um, a lot of it is we don't know what we're facing. And, and that's made it difficult, right? There's there's this one aspect where, listen, the, the South Africans and the Botswanians did amazing work to be able to identify Omicron as quickly as they did. They noticed a change in the trend in their epi uh, data. They did some sequencing. They identified something new and, and warned the world, which was really, really important. Um, the problem that we face now is that you've got this time lag from when you identify something to trying to figure out what it is and how it behaves. That's where we sit right now. And it's difficult because the thing is you have a lot of people that are viewing data and are making certain or specific proclamations based on their experiences or what they, they feel. In many cases, we don't have data to fully substantiate that. And that's difficult because you know we, we are kind of in this phase of news where people want a, a quick hit uh, news bite to basically say, what, what is the current situation? It's difficult to say, we don't know, um, but here are the nuances or here's the context. Uh, and, and that's where we, we currently sit. We're watching the trends in South Africa. We know that there are some, some nuances there. We're watching the trends coming out of Europe um, and, and certainly the UK, which is, is somewhat telling because they face a, a certain, you know, a, a similar vaccination trend to what we do in Canada. Um, and we're watching things, you know, certainly escalate here very quickly with, with cases. Um, that's difficult because we're, we know people are certainly concerned, but we don't necessarily know what, what Omicron is. Our best thing to do is, is to remain cautious and, and try and be as prepared as possible. All right. So let's talk about what we do know. Uh, we do know that it's new. Uh, it seems like, and correct me if I got any of this wrong, uh, it seems like there is uh, clear evidence that it seems to be more contagious uh, than what we've known so far. Is that fair? That's fair. I think the data certainly from from South Africa was suggestive that we were seeing a, a transmission advantage uh, as compared to what we saw with Delta. The cases we've seen in Europe so far, and even what we've seen in Canada, has been very telling. Right, we're seeing you know basically doubling times within you know two to three days. We're certainly seeing uh, a very large increase in in the overall percentage of cases that are represented by Omicron. That is something you know we we've seen vestiges of this in the past, but we haven't seen anything this quick. And I think that that for us is uh, is extremely important and, and something what you know that we're looking at with with alarm bells ringing. So faster onset seems to be a, another thing that's working around too. Go to a party within a day or two, not feeling great. Yeah, it seems like we're, we're starting to hear some of that. Clinically, we don't have a lot of data yet, right? And, and that's important for us. I mean, part of this is Omicron has emerged in a time period when, you know, certainly places in, in Europe uh, and certainly Western Europe and as well in, in North America have high vaccination rates. Um, that puts Omicron into a little bit of a different area because we have a, a variant that has emerged that's able to get around some of our immune processes. We know it's able to get around some of those early neutralizing antibodies that we have. Um, that allows it to maybe spread a little bit easier between people that, that are vaccinated and, and certainly infect people that are vaccinated. So I, I think we're getting a picture of what this looks like. The problem is the number of cases that, that have been reported so, so far clinically is not that large. And that starts to give some bias to the data and certainly makes it a little bit noisy. So I think the, the next few days we'll get a better picture. Certainly the Canadian perspective and, and with our vaccination intervals, we'll get a better perspective. Um, but it, it continues to be a developing story. And not enough data, I would assume, in the same way for the the you don't get as sick, it's not as bad, all that stuff. Still way too soon? Yeah, I, I think that's the unfortunate reality. So the, the early data suggested uh, from South Africa, we might see milder disease. Now, that, that could very well turn out to be true, but there's caveats, right? Younger population, small case number, 
And as well, this is from a population that didn't necessarily have high vaccination rates. They had low vaccine rates, but they had high immunity uh, from uh, from prior waves of infection. So the seroprevalence, the, the amount of antibody that was in the population was extremely high, which means there was some underlying immunity. So trying to then say, okay, well, what does that mean in regards to disease severity in a high-risk population or an unvaccinated population? That was still yet to be determined. And I think the next few days will be really critical to answering that. What do we need to know, Jason? I mean, this has seemed to go. This seems to go from a tiki torch to a wild forest fire in a couple of days. Um, you know, you've you've been through this with Ebola in Africa and these other things. I mean, I remember when the Ebola conversation started in North America, right? Because it yep. was the oh, someone came from the place where the where the people are sick. So, but it wasn't wild like this. So, is this just a sign of the times, or is this you know legitimate? concern? I don't even know if you can answer that question. No, I, I think I can, right? I mean, I, listen, I, I remember those Ebola days because I, I landed back in JFK airport when when the first Texas case was announced. So I, it, I remember how quickly things escalated in regards to the discussion about what happens, what happens next, what, it's, what is it going to look like? This is different, right? So you have, you have a, a virus that's very transmissible, has a much, much lower case fatality rate, but because of the numbers of people that it infects, we see high numbers of casualties. That's why we're at you know five million plus in regards to to recorded fatalities. Um, Omicron is is concerning because now we have to get into this area of saying, okay, if it's a little bit less virulent, but it's more transmissible, um, does that mean that we're in a better place? Where does that ratio need to be for us to actually truly say we're okay? And I don't think we know what that is yet. You know, if you have just a little bit of a drop in virulence, but it's more transmissible, you're still getting out to a lot of people. You're still going to have people that are going to ultimately have severe disease and require hospitalization. Um, that's a concern for us because we're also not dealing with a healthcare system that's back down to baseline. Um, so we and we don't have a lot of time based on the, the trends and the cases that we're already seeing. And I think that's why you're seeing the push right now. Third doses are, are critical. We have, I think, good data to say, listen, that third dose boosts up some of those neutralizing antibodies and helps give some extra protection against infection. That's critical for us if, if this is going to be around for a bit. Um, but we have to keep in mind that that's not going to be you know, something that's going to solve everything tomorrow. We still have to make those good choices in regards to trying to get transmission curbed and certainly uh, appreciative of where the virus is in our communities. Is this pretty typical for viruses? Now, I'm going to use non-fancy doctor language, uh, so hopefully it translates and that doesn't cause confusion. So what I sort of see is that you have a situation, call it a bug, that is more diluted in its power, but more effective at contagiousness. Now, if you think of it as a living being, that kind of makes sense, right? It's, just, it's got to be self-sustaining. It's got to be able to uh, reproduce and grow and whatever. You can't really have both right it's kind of like the the faster you get the lighter you get and the slower you get the heavier you get you know what i mean like it seems like this would be a natural progression for a virus to do to be trying to stick around and and not die off so one of the interesting takes has been for a long period of time there was this you know kind of i don't want to say it's a belief system but but there was basically this theory put out that the more a virus is able to transmit a population, um, the more likelihood there is for it to become more transmissible, but less virulent, because that allows it to escape out and get to more and more people, which is ultimately what the virus needs to make more copies of itself. The problem with all of this is that, listen, we're dealing with mutations which are random, right? So, so the mutations that push a virus to have a particular activity or a particular function, uh, all these mutations are occurring randomly. And the problem is, is that, you can have a highly transmissible disease um, that is still highly virulent. And even though it may kill off patients very, very quickly, if there's enough virus that's being released in that time period before the patient expires, if the virus has still basically done what it needs to to get out to new additional patients and still be maintained in the population. So I think we have to kind of move ourselves back a little bit away from this idea that, well, the more, you know, the more time that's given, the more likelihood that we're just going to see greater transmissibility, less virulence. We don't know that. And I don't think we necessarily want to test that either. Right. So far, what we've seen through the different variants of concern is that, listen, transmissibility and virulence have not necessarily been going in opposite directions. If we look at alpha and then beta, gamma, delta, um, we don't know what the story is going to be with Omicron. 
Um, it, it could very well turn out the way it may turn out to be the opposite. We also don't want to find out what happens for the next variant of concern. Um, and, and so that makes it very, very difficult for us to predict um, what's going to happen next. All we can really say is that the longer that we give this virus to, to be able to transmit through people, the more likelihood there is for more mutations. And we don't necessarily know what those mutations are, are going to be. Okay, so I summed that up with my dad very similarly, except I said, this is not the uh, lottery I want to win, right? This is not the bingo call oh, for me. 100%, right? I, listen, with, with Omicron, it's kind of like, listen, we're, we're talking about you know whether it's going to be mild or more severe disease and, and what's going on. To me, right now, the biggest thing is let's try and do our best to not find out. If we can keep things under control, that means that we can hopefully keep our healthcare system at bay. And listen, if it ends up being milder, so be it. At the very least, we've tried to preserve uh, the you know, our, our healthcare workers and, and that infrastructure. Um, that that right now has to be one of our, our biggest concerns. Is it wishful thinking that all these things will go away one day? I mean, you look at polio and those, but that took a long time, man. I hear you. Listen, I, I you know I'm somebody that that you know kind of carved their eye teeth in in high consequence viruses and you know working on monkeypox and and variola virus, uh, the agent that causes smallpox. Listen, when you think about smallpox, we think about hundreds of years for us to get to a point to eradicate it. Um, we think about flu. I mean, you know, where are we sitting with flu each year? Um, certainly with MERS coronavirus, you know, sitting with things with like polio, Ebola, even. Um, I think that we get to a position of saying. How is how is it best for us to be able to deal with this over the long term? Um, we can't necessarily assume we're going to be able to eradicate or even eliminate this virus. But how do we get it to a point where we are able to get it under control to a great enough point that that stress on the healthcare system drops down? And, and I think that's the best we can hope for. Listen, we, when we think about emerging infectious diseases, um, we can't think about you know one disease emerging at a time. We have to you know very much appreciate that there is this cavalcade of different emerging infectious diseases that have been discovered and those that have not been discovered, and they are all battling against us. Uh, so our, our greatest ability right now is to try and, and control uh, these types of outbreaks and, and transmission events from occurring. I, I think of it a little bit like an exterminator, right? We often think about we bring an exterminator in because maybe you have mice in your place. But just because you have mice doesn't mean you can't have ants, right? And so on and so forth. You know, I kind of think of it like yeah. a house. And we seem to have this mentality that, well, once the exterminator comes in and takes away all the mice, then we're not going to have an ant problem. And that doesn't seem like logical thinking at a certain point. And uh, this is this is cool to talk about, you know, the, the sort of the science behind it. I think that that's helpful for people. I wish we could talk about this stuff more, right? As opposed to freaking out about it. It's difficult. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about this. We're having this discussion about Omicron and, and it almost feels like we've forgotten about Delta, which by the way, is still transmitting yeah, in our number communities, one, right? still surging, right? So it, it, you're ab exactly correct. And I think that's the, the important thing walking away from this is that we have to have greater context and nuance in these discussions um, so that we don't just get laser focused on one aspect, that we are talking about this, we're transparent in what we understand and what we don't understand. Um, and, and that the public understands also that we're always questioning these things uh, internally and externally. Um, you know, the, the, the question marks and the light bulbs are, are really never getting activated or never not getting activated. Um, the, these things are always top of mind for us. I look forward to the day where we can have it to a point where we can start the conversation about where did this stuff come from? Like, how did this happen? I mean, that's, I think that's going to be the fun conversation down the road when everyone starts to dig into it and, <laughs> and start to look at, you know, how all these things unfolded. I, I, it is mind blowing to me. And if we don't take anything away from this, at least we can take away that we're all now experts on what is good hand sanitizer. We didn't know that before. <laughs> Hey, I, I, the, the, one of the greatest things I think we've talked a lot about is public health in general, right? So moving out of COVID, the things we've talked about for COVID for, for trying to get control of infectious disease uh, transmission, these things are broadly uh, useful for a lot of infectious diseases. And that's very, very important. Dr. Jason Kendrachuk, not only a super nerd with all things viruses, uh, metalhead. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Some gift ideas, some geeky, some nerdery things. Should we welcome Disco Andy to the program? It's been a while since we talked on the radio. It's been a while since oh, we told yeah. the story about Disco Andy. Yeah. Uh, when Andy used to go to the tech shows in Vegas, he used to get really smashed. And 
and there was always stories. So that's the, really the Cole's notes there. Uh, hey, Andy, what um, what city do you live in? I live in the city, beautiful city of Surrey, British Columbia. You gonna run for mayor? <laughs> I might have a chance right now. I, I apparently I'm paying his legal bills right now, so maybe after that I'll, <laughs> I'll run for mayor. I can't believe that. I don't. I still haven't figured out how we're paying for his bills. And he got like the top lawyer. Did you hear the about top this? Lawyer. Yeah. He got that Meng Meng Wangjo's uh, lawyer. Wangjo's so lawyer. The mayor. The mayor of Surrey. Well, you got charged with mischief. Was that what yes. he's charged with? Ryan, yes. would you do me a favor and just so I can get that accurate? Um, and so he basically claimed that he got his foot run over by somebody, filed a complaint, and then they investigated, and they've somehow determined that, I guess they assert that that was not the case. And um, and now he's been charged with mischief, the mayor of Surrey. And was now he- he's hired like the highest end of lawyers to defend himself. Yes, and I'm paying for it, basically, yep. is what I found out. Surrey, mm-hmm. Surrey residents are paying for his legal bills. The question is, wasn't the interview from Global used in the court case? Yeah, it was the. My understanding is from the report was that they were asked to hang on. It's in it's in the article at GlobalNews.ca uh, that they were asked to hang on to that. Yeah. Wild stuff, man. It, like, so I'm going to run for mayor. I guess I got to get more popular so I can get myself right. a base because I. Yep. Uh, I feel like I have a chance. You know, I kind of own the city already. So like, yeah, I've, I've always called myself the Surrey success story. So, um, <laughs> you know, that'll be my slogan when I run yeah, for right. mayor. That's great. I think it's awesome. Wait, okay. So let's do some tips for Andy running for mayor. First of all, um, we need to stop talking about you stealing internet from other people. Um, that's probably stealing. a thing. Shane, it was boring for a temporary right. time period. Okay. Right? Then there's the uh, distributing unlicensed internet, uh, internet reselling. That was just an idea, a theoretical idea, which I think will work if I can get the right hardware. I can create the community Robinhood Wi-Fi and just give internet for free. All right. Then there's also the uh, grow up that you have. That was illegal. There's four plants, okay? (laughs) I'm following the law. Shane, there's a line. I'm not crossing it. I am just hugging it. Very, very closely. Hugging it very, very closely. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. HandyAndyMedia.com. You're answering your questions very good here. Like this is, this is, you could be onto something here. That's what I'm saying. I got, yeah. I got the, the, the public know-how. I can deflect questions. I could run for mayor. You know, if Doug yep. McCallum can do it, I can do it. Absolutely. Handy Andy Barrar. There you go. Um, okay. So where are we going to go here on the program? I noticed you've got this fancy new sign in the background. It's the, uh, I haven't seen it in video form. I saw a photo of it when we chatted earlier in the week, but, um, tell us what's going on and where are we going here with, uh, with Andy's tips. So, um, a lot of people are familiar with this led lighting We're we're seeing, you know, a lot of people retrofitting their typical light bulbs with these led lights, but, For a while now, Shane, there's been what's called RGB LED light strips. And these are these little strips that you can put underneath, you know, counters and and it can give you different kind of colors. And so I have been a huge fan of these lights. I've been, you know, my Airbnb, my high tech Airbnb suite has these or voice command. You can change the colors. However, in the last couple of years, they've released new of these LED lights that work with apps. And the great thing is now you can get light effects. So inside an app, you can start programming. So it'll the entire strip will change colors at different times. So rather Mm. than just have red or blue, it'll start like, you know, you can see like a rainbow between them all. Not only that, Shane, but I didn't even know this. And we were kind of chatting about this texting was the new LED tube lighting. This looks like your Mm. neon lights, those retro neon light signs but it's actual LED and they look great. And that's what I actually, I had to review these products and they were so nice. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to upgrade my studio. And so I mounted these lights um, on the wall. You have to go to my website to check it out, handyandymedia.com, or you can go to the Shifts Facebook page. I also uh, posted a link there as well. But uh, these new lights, I'm thinking, you know, with the holidays, these lights are, you know, you can install them permanently and then you can just change the colors to match the different uh, seasons and whatever holidays you have. So now that we're in Christmas, you know, these would make great holiday lights. And the fact that you can control them on an app and 
and make all these different types of effects, I think will appeal to a lot of people, especially um, the kids out there. And the kids, they love it. If you go for a walk, I don't know if you'd see all the, um, like the windows of the houses walking along. You can tell who's got teenage kids because their lights, their rooms are lit up. Those LED ribbons, by the way, um, I'm going to share this on because I know you've already shared some stuff on, on the Facebook group from the chat today. I've got a couple of videos that I used to do. When I used to do the music to light displays, I think we started in 2007, maybe 2000, no, 2009. 2008. We started doing those with those LED, those RGB ribbons, um, for light displays 10 or 12 years ago. And they were a lot more expensive back then. Can tell you that much, but I'm going to put some of the displays on some of the videos that we did with trees and displays we did with, um, with some of those LEDs. And I'll post those on the, the, the shift heads group, which is the, um, shiftheads.ca, the Facebook group. One thing so I've always there, wanted, so one thing it. I've always wanted to do, Shane, is, you know, like ba uh, the crown molding that you put in houses, instead of having it right to the ceiling, you put it down like an inch and then you can put one of those LED strips on top of the crown molding and then you can kind of control it because it makes such a nice light because it's not like it, it lights the room because it's reflecting off the ceiling, but it doesn't kind of blind you and the fact that you can change them different colors. And now with these effects, they have a snake effect. So imagine you have like, crown molding with this led light strip and then you have like a little snake running through your house like just mm -hmm. going from each light it would look so cool um something i've been thinking about i was actually thinking about putting molding in my house just to put these light strips in because i just think it would be such great um lighting alternative to the traditional light fixtures that we already use in our homes now this tube light you have those different it's not like led pixels no, no, this, and that's the great thing about these tube lightings is that you actually want to look at it. The actual RGB LED strips, you don't yeah, want to see the no. lights. They, it looks really cheap because you can see the individual lights, but when it's underneath the table or something like that, where you can't actually see the individual lights themselves, it looks great. So you always want it to reflect off a wall, but these new tube lightings, you can mount these right on the wall. And people, I'm telling you, go to my website, look, take a look at the picture and how cool it looks. Whether you have like a gaming room or a man cave, or you just have kids you want to impress and they want like a real cool art because it's flexible. You could actually design the, you know, different shapes. I tried to, I don't know if you can see this, Shane, because we're talking on Zoom, but I try to make the landscape of Vancouver, like little mountains. Oh yeah, I can see that. So that, that's, I, um, that was like my little art, my little I did art see somebody project had taken one of those and uh, used it around a tree that was up for like auction. And you know, it looked nice. It was pretty Weren't cool. Weren't you, you were telling me that high-end high end homes are now using these lights for Christmas lights. Outside, yeah, outside. Yes. You can see them outside. And that they use the tube that like the, they're not really two ones necessarily the same. It's really just frosted tubing, right? Um, and they, um, and yeah, you can see them. There's actually a couple of houses just down the road that have it and it looks fantastic, but it doesn't look festive to me. I mean, it looks more like a, a rock show than it does anything. I mean, there's, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't replace the beauty of Christmas lights. When it's I was, nice. um, it's convenient, but it's not the same. When I was a kid, you know, those old types of lights, they had the actual Christmas lights that were in little bulbs. Yep. So I remember I was a teenager and kids would come over and they would unscrew them and break them. So my dad would dip them in Vaseline. So every time the kids oh, would God. take it apart, their hands would get all oily. So that, that solved that problem. But uh, we don't have that now with these LED lights because they make great Christmas lights just because they use such like low energy compared to those other lights um, from the eighties like, and nineties. Uh, handy Andy Barrar for mayor there, just so you know, that's a solution to crime. This is we're yes. talking about here. More lights. All right. So um, let's get this one quickly because uh, Apple is helping you out when you kick off and die. Yeah. So Apple just came up with the new um, update for iOS 15.2 and it features this new thing called digital legacy. And basically, when you die, you can set it up in the settings so that someone like your close family member, could be your husband, your wife, can take over your Apple account. So everything that you have in, in your digital world that lives in the cloud, lives in iCloud, everything that's on your iPhone, your iPad, or you know any basically any Apple device, um, they'll be able to have access for it because right now it gets really, really tough when someone passes away and you try to get into their account. Sometimes you have to get a court order to do that. So by setting up this digital legacy for, for your account, and I know it's hard. Nobody wants to think about this stuff, but yeah, it totally. is a feature that is now allowed. And that's something that I highly recommend people do it 
just the in the event that you or when you pass away, they'll have access to your legacy online. I love it. It's like it's not inevitable or anything. But you're right, though. Nobody wants to talk about that stuff, man. Why would you want? Nobody wants to talk about this. Stuff. I know. Think about I know. It. It's like it's like wills. Nobody wants to write their will. But this is just the, the the life that we live these days. Is that we do have a digital self that lives in the cloud, and we have to protect that when we die. Yeah. And this new feature by Apple, I think, is fantastic. I just hope I it comes on the Android side as well, because you need them for both platforms, just so that we have like something that we would add into our will, like. So and so gets access to all my pictures in iCloud or in yeah. Google. At shiftheads.ca, you can see that Christmas tree that I was telling Andy about with the pixels. Um, it's up there now. Now, there's another one that I want to find for you. It's a different technology than that, but we used a LED pixel to create a tree that was sensitive. I, at the time, for when I was doing the zoo lights, was I, what I wanted to do. They said, well, we need something interactive and fun. And I remember the Elf movie. In the Elf movie, in order for have Christmas cheer for Santa's sleigh to fly, they had to sing Christmas carols. So that was my inspiration. And, and so we made it audio sensitive. So the tree actually didn't light up unless somebody was singing a Christmas carol, which yes. is cool. So I'll find yes. that video, too, and post it, too, because I love this, this LED light Christmas thing. It makes me happy. Oh, it makes me so happy. It's so nerdy and it's so like festive at the same time. It's just like mm -hmm. the perfect recipe of, of a project. It's cool stuff. Okay, so um, why don't we jump into, where do you want to go next here? we got a couple of things. We're not going to have time for all of them, so why don't you pick? Okay, well, let's talk about uh, how a couple got married in the metaverse. I don't know if you saw this story, Shane, but uh, a couple in New York, they actually had a real wedding in person. But instead of just going to Zoom and just having people join by Zoom, they actually hired a company to create a virtual wedding as well in the metaverse. And so all the attendees were little avatars that could attend this wedding. And it was happening at the same time they're having the real wedding. So they were actually taking clips from the real wedding and putting it in the metaverse. And the groom's best man was unable to attend the real wedding. So he delivered his toast as an avatar in the metaverse at a wedding. So this is like one of the first times that we've kind of seen the metaverse. But a lot of people on the internet are making fun of this because apparently... This has been happening for quite a time, uh, quite some time. People have been getting married on this game called Second Life, World of Warcraft, and more. So I didn't know that people were like hooking up online and, you know, tying the knot as well in, in, in you know, in video games. Um, I'm sure there's somebody who's just going to try to delete their spouse, their digital spouse, be like, I'm deleting you. But I was and just thinking it. like this metaverse, like if it actually takes off, you might meet, you might have like online dating where you meet somebody and then your your first date is like going to a movie or something in the yeah. metaverse where you put an avatar on, you're at home and yeah, but you got to, you got to put your hand right? around the girl. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, weird. I don't know. It's just, it'd be weird to, to, to not, I don't know. I mean, it's weird enough that you swipe left and swipe right at this point, let alone not actually meeting the person. At least you can have video calls today and meet someone on a video call and decide if you want to spend time with them, right? No, we don't have to do video calls, Shane. You can go to the metaverse. You can I actually like, let's go to the zoo in the metaverse and look at some matter. It's just, it's kind of weird. It's going to take um, society a while to get used to this. I don't, I'm still skeptical if this metaverse thing is going to actually be a thing. But there's a lot of big players, Facebook or Meta. They changed their name. Just they're yeah. all well, they're in on this to, right now. Yeah, they're trying to steal that. Yeah, they're trying to basically own it all, which is not a big shocker. Well, let's talk about this because I think holograms are actually going to be the bigger than this sort of metaverse thing until it becomes this hologram world like it was on Star Trek uh, and the holodeck. That's pretty nerdy. Ryan's really proud of me right now. Um on the holodeck, then, um, you know, these are the kinds of things that I think the, the future is, though. But hologram technology is a thing. Yeah. So, you know, what they're noticing because of the pandemic and people and especially executives can't go to these big shows. What they're starting to do is create this hologram technology where you could actually be in your office standing, you know, against, a, say, a, a backdrop with a camera facing you. And then at some other place is going to be a box with a glass in front of it and they could actually project you from that camera into this box where it looks like you're actually there you're standing there there's microphones you can talk to people they can talk to you except you're somewhere else and uh, on the other side of the world and so this hologram technology there's a company that's making it in the u.s 
And they can't make enough of these because everyone is starting to use them. The companies like Netflix, where you have these big executives and business travel is not a thing right now. So this hologram technology, I think you're right, Shane. It might be the next big thing just because it it feels more real compared to just your typical face-to-face video chat. Or you could just get together. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, right now, that might not be an option for some people, but... Well, reducing flying and travel is probably a responsible thing to do if you don't have to go halfway around the world for one meeting, right? So that's a fair ball. Um, Okay, let's do this last DNA one. Let's get it done uh, real quick here, if that's okay. Let's talk about the pooches. Yeah, so this might be a great gift out there for uh, pet lovers. You could actually get a dog DNA test. And this is really interesting because if you get this, you just basically have to take a little swab of saliva from your dog. You mail it in. In two, three weeks, you get a DNA profile of your dog. And it can tell you everything from their breed, their lineage, you know, the, the different types of breeds that they have, but also health metrics, you know, things that they might have health issues, types of uh, genetic variants that you would have to look out with all in this DNA test. So if you really, really love your, your dog, you, this might something you might want to check out because it actually could help their health by understanding their DNA. I didn't know they made this for dogs, but this is pretty darn cool. I know that they did it expensively if you wanted to know your dog's breed, but now that it's turning into more of a retail thing, probably amazing. HandyAndyMedia.com, that is Andy's website. Okay, question for you, Andy, before you go. Um, Time has released their person of the year. So is there one person you can think of from your life that if you could vote, like like a person, like that's from your life, um, doesn't have to be a celebrity, I mean literally from your life, who would be your time person of the year? Who would you pick to put on that cover? Um, I would probably pick my sister-in-law. She's a physician, and I know that she's been really burnt out. They, she lives with my brother up in Terrace, and they're coming down, and I haven't seen her in about two years, and I know just from talking to my brother how much she has been working because of COVID, and mm-hmm. um, just for all the work that she's done, I, I just can't wait to see her. So she would be my person of the year. Time person of the year. Who would be your person of the year? 877-399-9898. We want to know who you nominate for the uh, time cover. It can be anybody. It doesn't have, not a famous person. It can be, but it doesn't anybody in your life. Um, It can be Andy's sister-in-law for all that. Thanks, buddy. It's great to see your face. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.